to Paul's uh, ministry in uh, Corinth and, and what had gone on there. And, and it's just a reminder in terms of uh, the book of Acts that we have a historical uh, book where uh, the attempt was made to show in a systematic way what took place. And uh, so it's, you know, it's connecting with the previous events and uh, uh, in order to give a good picture of uh, the beginnings of the church. And we have, we've, we've called this series the Empowered Church because the point is this, the, the church did not begin and it didn't grow and it didn't thrive because of great human strategy. It did those things because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the key. Now, were there strategies? Some. Were there reactive ministry? Some. In all of that, God was guiding them. But in all of that, the key was the power of the Spirit in weak people. Primarily weak and flawed people, every one of them. So let's read beginning with verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sincre. He had uh, cut his hair for he was under a vow. Interesting. Stop for a haircut. <laughs> uh, we usually don't get that kind of detail. Uh, it is more than a haircut. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a mystery. There's all kinds of theories of what this was, whether it was some kind of a Nazarite vow where you did not cut your hair, uh, sometimes for a period of time, sometimes for a whole life, but sometimes for a period of time, and then, uh, you know, after you're through with that ministry, then you get your hair cut and, and move on. And uh, so that's, that's what most assume this was, that for his particular ministry, he had said, I don't know if you've seen the Little League World Series, uh, any of that. There's a couple of uh, guys on the team from California, and they've got hair like down to here. They're real California baseball players, you know, and uh, they said, we said if we get to the, the finals, we're going to cut our hair, you know, and the parents are saying, yeah, we'll believe that when we see it and that kind of thing. Well, it's the same, basically the same idea. Once, you know, you, you've gotten through that particular thing, then you go back to what was more normal, and that's probably what that was. I didn't want that distracting you for the whole service. Why do you say he cut his hair, you know? For he was under a vow. And they came, verse 19, to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That was his normal pattern. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. 
After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Don't worry about all those names. Just get the picture. He's going from church to church and encouraging them. Verse 24 then. And a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, you've told us that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we call upon you for that same spirit of empowerment. We're not even going to understand your word unless you enlighten our minds and our hearts. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mark, we were thinking along the same lines uh, of what we observed yesterday, what he said earlier. Now, we, we had here, depending on um, how optimistic the counter was, we had between 207 and 220 cars, antique cars here. It was amazing. We had a, a wonderful art show uh, with mostly people from within the church, but also some from the community. We gave away, what, how many hot dogs? 720 hot dogs or something. Like we ran out of, ran out of hot dogs. Um, this could have been one of those riots in Ephesus, you know, but they, <laughs> people were okay. And, and you all who didn't get a hot dog, thank you uh, for um, permitting that. Uh, but, but see, and actually, there was only one discouragement for me, and that was as I had the privilege of watching all these antique cars come in, I realized that uh, most of them, the engines were running better than the car I'm driving and a lot of them had less mileage on it than the car I'm driving, too. Somehow. I don't know how that works. But to see all of the people who were here yesterday, and some, some of you just showed up yesterday and worked yesterday, and it was wonderful. It was a full day. But we also had people that were working for months. You know, P 
periodically throughout the whole year. And we had different people using and displaying their gifts and talents, everything from a, an understanding of the cars and car shows to the artwork, to the children's ministry, their artwork, and uh, taking care and watching the children and, and welcoming them and so on, to walking people across the street, to putting out signs, on and on. And you know what? I don't want to give you the impression that that's, that's unique here. That actually happens every single week. It's different, of course, but every Sunday, there are people that, that work not just all week long, but have worked periodically on things for, for weeks for us to have this worship service. And there are people using uh, their gifts of uh, ability to greet, and some taking care of children, and some doing the sound, and some working on the lights and electricity and cleaning the building, and on and on and on. It's not just preparing a sermon and a song for what we do here. And I say that not so anyone gets credit, but to show you again the beauty of the body of Christ. And we see that here in this passage as well. As we see parallel stories in a sense, it's one after another. We, it's going to talk about Paul and then it's going to talk about uh, Priscilla and Aquila. But basically in the same setting, but we see how God used them uniquely and how he continued to build his church, even though they couldn't have done what Paul did and, and probably vice versa. Look at, we see Paul, and I, I put in the outline, for want of a, a better way to put it, uh, a concern for the big picture. Now, he was concerned for the details too, but let me explain what I mean by the big picture. He understood, Paul understood, and this is an important concept, that he was not indispensable. Look at verse 19. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Again, that was basically his pattern, uh, how he would uh, begin his ministry. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but taking uh, leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. Here's what happened. Paul left others in charge. He's, he's, you know, people could say, well, he was the key guy. He was the main teacher. He was, he was focusing on outreach. But he basically left and left others in charge, Priscilla and Aquila. And when they arrived apparently established themselves in a home where they conducted business. Eventually, the church met. And we, the reason we know that is uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. I'll just read it to you, but you, if you want to uh, notice that in the outline. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, uh, together with the church in their house, they were hosting a community group, basically, 
the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Now, if you're perceptive, you say, wait a minute. It says Prisca there and Priscilla over there. Those are the same name. The Priscilla is basically the diminutive. It's like saying Susan and Susie. So it's the, it's the same person here. Paul understood that in the long run, he wouldn't be the, doing the church any favors if it was completely dependent on him. Now, that's always tricky for a pastor of a church. It's tricky when uh, there's been a long-term pastor and somebody comes in and follows him. I've been a long-term pastor. I've followed long-term uh, pastors. And those, those, are, uh, those are tricky. A number of years ago, I did, though, uh, learn a lesson that was important for me, and the lesson was that I'm not indispensable. We were in Pennsylvania, Saturday night. I got really sick. I mean, really sick. Not, you know, not to where you call the ambulance or anything, but I was really sick during the night, up and down all night. I had my sermon already, <laughs> okay? And it got to be early morning, and Connie said, well, you can't preach. And I said, I have to preach. What would they do without me, you know? <laughs> and she said this to me. She said, you know what, everybody else gets sick sometimes on Saturday. Why wouldn't you? Now, she was right, and that was important for me to hear. <coughs> I don't know why I thought I was immune to that. And so we called a, a man in the congregation who was actually ordained, and he was in education, but he had once pastored a church, and I believe Connie even made the call and said, can you preach for Dale uh, this morning? And he did. He came in, and he preached, and I recovered. I was, you know, back at work like the, the next day and so on. But here was the lesson in it for me. All week long, it was in a small town, all week long people were saying, Oh, I'm glad you're feeling better. It really went well on Sunday. <laughs> now, the first time I heard it, <laughs> you know, it was a little dagger. Uh, but as it was turned all, all week long, you know, by the end of the week, I was fed up to hear with how well, <laughs> how well it went without me. And yet, what a great lesson. I wasn't indispensable there. I'm not here. And you know what? You're not either. We're all, we're, you know, God uses weak people to plug little holes. And we need to understand that. Paul understood it. You know what? If, if he wasn't indispensable, why would any of us think we are? So 
He understood that. That's a part of the big picture because he understood how big his God is. And that's what we need to understand as well. Uh, out of a concern for the church then, he did the selfless thing. Uh, verse 22, it says, When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up, greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. By leaving, he wasn't just doing what was best for himself. In fact, it would have been easier for him to stay put. Traveling that day was hard. It was dangerous and, and so on. Uh, but what he did was that... Uh, uh, they, they wanted him in Ephesus. They liked his teaching. And by the way, that's pretty irresistible if you're a teacher. Somebody says, we love your teaching. You know, please, please stay. But he did what was best for the church at large. By stepping aside, it gave Priscilla and Aquila opportunity to blossom and to grow. Opportunity that they probably wouldn't have had if he had still stayed put keep telling you how I've been set aside in the past, and uh, I've, I've told you uh, uh, about in 2005 when uh, I had the, the heart attack. Well, the, uh, this was in Atlanta, and uh, on my staff at that time, we had a, a part-time director of discipleship and a full-time youth guy, and so they kind of took over the worship for the couple of weeks I was out. Now, I want to focus mostly on the on the the youth guy. When we hired him, uh, he had very little experience. His name's Jamie, and uh, when I went down for a, a couple of weeks, they let him go up in the front and read scripture and uh, maybe say a prayer, that kind of thing. He was just mortified, you know, and he was the kind that would come into my office and when I would fill him in on what was going on in the church, I don't know how many times he said to me, oh, I could never do your job. I could never do your job. And, you know, there were times I was probably thinking, yeah, I don't see you really doing my job either. <laughs> he stood in front of the congregation, helped lead worship. When St. Andrew's Presbyterian called me over to be the pastor here, they started letting Jamie do more because they needed him to more in worship. He even one time got up and spoke, preached. And then he started getting his seminary training at a seminary in Atlanta, like our LAMP program, much like that. He chipped away at it over the years, and a new pastor was called uh, that followed me there, and Jamie started doing all the pastoral care in that church, and then the senior pastor moved on to a different place after just a few years, and they decided to do a, a search for a new senior pastor. 
And it was the consensus, why are we searching? We have our pastor here. And Jamie is now the senior pastor at Covenant Presbyterian over in Atlanta. And I, he still calls me periodically, which I love talking to younger pastors, and we talk on a fairly regular basis. I often remind him, yeah, remember, you're the little guy that would come in my office and say, I could never do your job, you know. And then we both kind of laugh about that, but praise God. Because of his, his good providence and his timing and how it worked out. And you know what, frankly, if I was still the pastor there, Jamie would probably still be the youth guy there. It was best for the kingdom. As I look back, it was best for the kingdom uh, for him to have these opportunities. And that's what we were seeing here in this passage. Out of a concern for the big picture, also, Paul was open to God's will. Verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And that's his heart. You see his heart there. He was willing to come back. He didn't just say, no way will I ever be back here, see in heaven or anything like that. He was willing. But when he did come back, he didn't step into a prominent role, but worked just with a few men. Now, I want you to look at the other side. That's the Apostle Paul really kind of in the big picture of things. But then we see what I've called a concern for the individual. And I don't by that want to imply that Paul was not concerned for the individual, but we're going to see a ministry with an individual by Priscilla and Aquila. Um, Verse 24 says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately uh, the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, don't worry too much about this knowing only the baptism of John, wondering, I wonder if there's any around that that's still the case. That's not going to be the case. This was a transitional time where... Evidently, uh, uh, Apollos had either directly heard the teaching of John the baptizer or he had uh, heard it secondhand and had not actually seen the full picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew the kingdom was at hand. Perhaps he was focusing on preaching repentance, uh, baptism for repentance, or something along that line. I don't even think we need to figure that out. All we need to understand is uh, what Apollos is like. Here's what we know about him. He was eloquent. He was a good communicator. He was competent in the Scriptures. Now remember that. He wasn't perfect in the Scriptures, but he was competent. And he was learned. He had received instruction. So basically, here you've got a rising star. He has it all going for him. But at some point, there was a blind spot. It must have been a good-sized blind spot. 
because of what he didn't know yet. And that's a key. So here he is. He's got it all going on, but there's a blind spot in there. Priscilla and Aquila hear him preach. And they have to deal with this blind spot. What do they do? Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. This is Apollos. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now here's where I want to go back to remember our our, uh, women's leadership team that was standing up here a few moments ago. And by the way, that's just representative. We've got many women leaders in the church that are serving in many different capacities. So just see this as kind of representative. But I want you to notice here, it, it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla is the girl and Aquila's the boy, the woman and the man. Typically, you would say, I'm not saying anything about what's correct today, okay, But typically, you would say, in terms of ministry, Aquila and Priscilla. You would name the man first who's taking the lead in ministry if that were the case. I think this is evidence that while they were united, they were working together in their ministry, I think it's very possible that Priscilla was ahead of Aquila in terms of her understanding of things. In terms maybe of her maturity. Maybe she came to Christ first. We don't really know those things. But in any case, she is highlighted here. And what we are going to see is she's going to instruct, along with her husband, a man. She's going to correct, along with her husband, a man. Now, we look elsewhere in the New Testament, and we see that there are uh, things that uh, the Apostle Paul and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say are, is not the role of a woman. For instance, uh, the preaching of the Word in an authoritative setting And that's how we look at it as uh, preaching in a worship service. But I think this is evidence for the other things that we do, and that is permitting women to teach in other settings. Because of their understanding, their insight, and I think we have good evidence that that's not only an okay thing, but it it went on in even the early church. So how did they deal with him? Well, let's take him to Starbucks, <laughs> you know. Let's, uh, you know, we can't let him keep saying that. Let's take him out for coffee or have him over. Now, what could they have done? Well, because of who they were, And because they're hosting, 
you know, the, the, the church in their home, they probably could have said, whoa, 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 Apollos, you're way off base here. I know you got good intentions. You might have a good future, but back off on that. You don't have a good understanding in this area. Evidently, they didn't do anything close to that. Let's take him aside. They took him aside, and they corrected him in a gentle way. What a wonderful example of how to deal with things. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, here's the question. Did that work? Was that okay? Should they have not been more confrontive? After all, this is the truth. And Well, evidently, they dealt with it in, in such a way that we see the body of Christ benefiting. Look at verse 27. When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. I'm sure that includes Priscilla and Aquila and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. You see, that's telling me that whatever blind spot he had, they had corrected. And he had received the correction. Now, we don't know whether it's because they had done a good job correcting because they did it gently and they didn't make a big confrontation. We don't know that, but we do know that he was endorsed. When he arrived, verse 27 still, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And then we read in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul planted, Apollos watered and God gave the growth. You see how the body of Christ benefited? Because he wasn't given up on. He was properly, rightfully corrected and then sent out in further ministry. Now, I would suspect he was probably corrected many times in his ministry, but it appears that he was a teachable person as well. So we have a servant of God redeemed. Had he been run over roughshod by, by them because they could, because they were in a position to, I think we could wonder whether he would have been redeemed to be useful in the kingdom. This week, I was, as I was studying this passage, I had to ask myself, what about here at St. Andrews? What happens here when we have something like that take place? So let me just for a moment speak to those of you who are newer here or maybe this is even your first visit. First of all, we're glad you're here. You need to understand that. And that's no questions asked. Before I even know where you are in your faith, we're glad you're here. But as you look around, 
I have to say, because I've got a good view of this congregation, you might be looking around and saying, wow, this is a bunch of people that got it all together and they look really smart and they got their Bible. Well, some of them look smart and they've got their Bibles and <laughs> they're flipping through the Bible and, you know, they all know right where everything is. They're right. And, and you know, some of you may be saying, this is, this is new stuff to me. Here's what you need to know about our congregation. And I'm not saying this because anybody's, you know, deliberately faking it in here. I'm just saying that could be your impression of us. Here's what we have in the makeup of this portion of the body of Christ. We have some who uh, have advanced theological degrees. We do. Not many, <laughs> but, but some. And we have some that have studied the Bible uh, for all their adult life, and, and they're excellent teachers, and they've got a great grasp on theology and on the Bible. We do have people like that. And we also have some who are brand new in the faith. And if I say, turn to 1 Corinthians they're sneaking a peek at the index. Or they might have indexes. You just need to know that. Or they may even say, I, I don't even want to bring my Bible because I, you know, I don't know where things are. Or they may be using their app because you can't tell whether they know where they are or anything like that. <laughs> now we have those people. And you know what? We also have people right here that haven't yet made that step. But they're coming every, every week. And they're not even to the point of faith yet. And we've got all kinds of people in between. Most people are somewhere in between there, the whole spectrum. That's what we have here at St. Andrews. And here's why I want to tell you that. You know, when I do an inquirer's class, I mean, what I just told you is one of the things I love about St. Andrews. We're not all the same. We're not all at the same place in our walk with the Lord. But I'll do an inquirer's class for those that want to find out more about the church or possibly join at some point. And I make a distinction between the essentials that you, you've got to believe in order to get into heaven and the important things, the important things that you'll hear taught here, but you don't have to believe these in order to get into heaven. And I'll, I'll make a distinction between those two things. What I'm saying is this. There's a place for you here regardless of where you are in your walk. Regardless of whether you're coming in with an advanced theological degree or whether you don't know where Acts is in the Bible. Because what this body is made up of are people who are just trying to grow and just trying to become more useful for the kingdom. 
And that brings us back to this passage. What we ought to know about our church and what we ought to see here is you've got Paul and you've got Apollos and you've got Priscilla and Aquila and you've got us. And God loves using the unlikely to advance his kingdom. He loves doing that. Because the advancement of his kingdom ought not to be a reflection on how good we are, but how great he is. Let's pray together. What a great God you are. We would have tried to strategize and would have tried to, to find the best at everything the ones with the least sin. And instead, you redeem people. People like us. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that we would all be encouraged by that today. And as we realize it, we would be driven to worship you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.